morning, beloved. I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to Romans chapter 15. We return to the text, same as last week, part two. Lord willing, we'll finish this up. Romans chapter 15, our text is verses 15 through 21. Romans 15, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. This is the Apostle Paul writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, Verse 15, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is God's word. You can be seated. So this passage is here, and it aims to teach us how to boast. That's what Paul says in chapter 15, verse 17, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. We ought to be boasting. Paul's saying he does it, we ought to be joining together with him in this. You and I, in fact, were made to boast. You were given that capacity by God uh, to assess the value of things. You were given the capacity to desire uh, things and desire outcomes uh, that are worthwhile, and you were given the capacity to strive for that which you see as important. You were made to, to boast. The problem is, of course, that our sin messes up all of our boasting. We were made to boast in the Lord, to be captivated by His beauty, to love working for him and his strength and bring glory to him. But our sin messes all of that up and we are selfish in our boasting. The Apostle Paul talks about this at the start of Romans. Chapter 1, verse 21, he says about sinful humanity, he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Amazing. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. They, they dig in their heels and they say, we will not glory in God. We will not boast in him. We will not give thanks to him. And so they exchange his glory for anything and everything else. And so in our boasting, it's, we're, it's upside down. We boast in ourselves rather than in Christ. You were made by God to boast in Christ, to boast in what he accomplishes. Sin messes that up. Well, you are redeemed to get back on track, to serve him to serve in his strength and for his pleasure, and you are made to boast in that kind of work for him. You are made to boast in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, as one whose eyes have been opened to the glory of Christ, 
He's saying two people who have been redeemed, this is, this is what drives me. This work for God, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus when I do this work. And he wants us to join in this work and in this boasting. Uh, God doesn't want us just to work for him. He wants us to love working for him and to boast in our work because we do it for his glory and in his strength. What is this work that he's talking about? It's great commission work. Paul also talks about how he has ambition for this. Uh, Ambition, he talks about in verse 20. Look at verse 20 again. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Ambition. He's, He's striving eagerly. I strive eagerly for this. Uh, remember, we break apart that word as to love honor. I find this work, preaching the gospel, honorable. It's awesome. There's nothing greater than this. And so I love this honor. I strive for this. As we, as God's people, mature in our faith, we gain new affections, holy affections. We become more ambitious to carry out our mission. And then we boast in our work for God. And it's a boast that exalts Jesus Christ, not ourselves. Well, what is this mission? He's not using that terminology of great commission. Well, in verses 8 and 9, earlier in this chapter, he spoke of Christ's mission. When he says Christ became a servant and then gives the purpose statement, he became a servant or he came to earth to die in order that the nations might glorify God for his mercy. That's why Christ came. And so Paul is picking picking that up, picking up that thread, and he's saying, I work for this too. And he works in me to accomplish this. And so I boast in this work, and I'm ambitious to do this work. And again, church, this is why we exist, to do this kind of work for God, this kind of great commission work. God saved us from doing, he saved us from all of our vain ambitions, boasting in ourselves. He saved us, and he gave us a job to do. He commissioned us to go to all the nations, to go to lost people, to preach the gospel, to plant churches, and to see worshipers, more worshipers spread across the globe. This is why we exist. This is why we want to plant a church in North Knoxville. This is why we want to build up Grace Community Church. We want to be faithful senders and faithful goers, and not just doing the work, but being ambitious for it, boasting in this work, boasting in Christ as we do this work. And so the Apostle Paul really gives, uh, presents himself to us as a kind of example to follow. Uh, and so we're challenged in, in, in this to be ambitious for the Great Commission. And so we're looking at, we're, we're taking up our outline from last week. We're going to finish it off, Lord willing. I'm going to review a little bit, and then we'll get to the stuff we didn't cover last time. So we're looking at these five Great Commission ambitions demonstrated, portrayed in the life of Paul, uh, that will lead us, lead us to boast in Christ Jesus, okay? So the first one we saw last week, uh, we are called by this text to be ambitious to boldly proclaim the gospel. That's what he's talking about in verse 15. On some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. He's reminding them of the gospel. We considered that last week. Reminding them of the gospel, but he's not just telling it to them dispassionately. He is bold when he does this. And this is great commission work. We take the message of our king and we proclaim it boldly. There's a second great commission ambition. Number two, be ambitious to build up the church, being empowered by the undeserved favor of God. 
So look again at verse 15 to see how these phrases connect with one another. Verse 15, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. The reason why I speak boldly, this gospel is because I have grace given to me by God. When he's talking about this grace that's given to him, remember he's referring to the calling and the gifting of being an apostle. It's a gift, the gift of apostleship. It's a spiritual gift that enables him to, in a unique way, build up the church. It's empowerment by the Holy Spirit as any other spiritual gift. It's empowerment by the Holy Spirit enabling him to, well, as he says here, boldly proclaim the gospel as he has to the Romans. Of course, it includes more than that, but at least that. So he's speaking about it as the grace given him. Uh, He's thinking about that uh, as any spiritual gift, the empowerment for it. He is empowered by God uh, to do this. But he speaks of it as grace because he's mindful of the fact that he doesn't deserve to be blessed in this way, to be used in this way, to be empowered in this way. He doesn't deserve anything because he's a sinner. He's one who suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. But here he is, the recipient of mercy at great cost to the Lord Jesus Christ, right, who gave himself, who took the, the wrath of God that we deserve at great cost to himself, we have this mercy. We have this undeserved favor from God. And it's what enables us to speak boldly the gospel. It's what enables us to carry out the great commission. It's the undeserved favor of God. And Christian, you have it. You have his favor, even though you don't deserve it. And you observe it, you taste it, you experience it every time you speak the gospel. Because you treasure it, and want other people to treasure it, and you understand it, and you communicate it, that's the undeserved favor of God that you're enjoying. So be ambitious to build up the church. That's what the gifts are for. Being empowered by the undeserved favor of God. And then fourth, we are exhorted in this text to be ambitious. Be ambitious to exercise your priestly privilege of offering up souls to God as an acceptable sacrifice. That's number three, isn't it? It's not four. All right. Be ambitious. Whatever. You got the outline. You're following. Be ambitious to exercise your priestly privilege of offering up souls to God as an acceptable sacrifice. All right. So he's been given this grace by God, verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he has this undeserved favor of God, and what it enables him to do is to minister, be a minister of Christ Jesus, and then he elaborates on that, to work as a kind of priest, right? Speaking metaphorically, priest uh, went offered sacrifices of thanksgiving to the Lord, and so that's what he does. That's what his ministry is all about. That's what the Great Commission is all about. It's about worshiping our Lord, right? In response to what he's done for us, we worship him. And what is that worship? What are those offerings that we make to him? Well, we offer ourselves, Romans 12, 1, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? A sacrifice of thanksgiving. We serve him. We give him everything, holding nothing back. We do this out of thankfulness, not because we have to, because we love him, because we're thankful. Well, not only that, but we prepare others to offer themselves as sacrifices, 
And so that's what our, the Christian life is all about, offering ourselves up to him as an offering of thanksgiving and preparing others to do the same by preaching the gospel to them so they're saved and then helping them to be holy, acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. That's what ministry is all about. So Paul is motivated to do this because he loves, he loves the Lord and wants to offer these sacrifices of thanksgiving to him. And so he sees his ministry as worship. So all of this, Paul says in verse 17 then, is a reason for boasting in Christ Jesus. You say, how so? How, how is this a reason for boasting? Well, he really gives the fuller explanation uh, in the next phrase. He's saying, because in my work and all of this, Jesus Christ is the one who is accomplishing. I'm working in all this, but it's really about his working inside me, his accomplishing. So that leads to number four, uh, which we uh, looked at in part last time. Be ambitious to speak and act as Christ's instrument to lead people to the obedience of faith in him. Look at verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So I'm not going to boast about anything, he says, except what Christ is actually accomplishing through me. Paul knew he was only properly boasting when it was about, when it was focused on what Christ did through him and what Christ accomplishes. And so now in verse 18, verse 19, he elaborates on what Christ is accomplishing, how he goes about that, what that looks like, what it results in. Right? So he speaks of the purpose of Christ's working. He speaks of the means of Christ's working. And he speaks of the fruit of Christ's working. Okay? So there's the purpose of his working first. And you got the little purpose statement in verse 18. Look at verse 18 again. I won't venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me too. That's a, this is the purpose he's accomplishing of his work in me. To bring the Gentiles to obedience. So, Paul is working at this, but he's saying Christ is also, also working at this and accomplishing this through Paul's working. Uh, so, Paul is aiming at bringing the Gentiles, all the nations, to obedience. Again, he's not talking about moralizing people, helping them just follow God's law. No, he's talking about the obedience of faith. He's talking about preaching the gospel to them so that they obey the gospel. Yeah, we can speak of giving the gospel to people as, as inviting them to come to Christ. We are inviting them, but let's remember this invitation does, does go out with authority. It's the king, and he is the king, and he is requiring our absolute submission and our trust. And so when people don't give that to him, they are resisting, right? So we proclaim the gospel. We're seeking the obedience. We're seeking a trusting submission. It is a faith, but it's a faith that is humble and broken, and submissive to the Savior King, Jesus Christ. So that's the purpose. That's what he aims at. Our gospel teaching aims at the transformation of rebels into joyful, obedient slaves of Jesus Christ. And that's the obedience of the nations. That's what Jesus is worthy of. So now he goes to the means of Christ's working. How does Paul go about this? How does he carry this out? How does he accomplish the obedience of the nations? And how does Christ accomplish this? The means of Christ working. He's got three different phrases. We'll look at each one. The first phrase is by word and deed. It's by Paul's word and deed that Christ accomplishes this. 
So, by word, Paul preaches the gospel. He, he would say, I have gospel conversations, I have gospel speeches, I write gospel letters, I speak the gospel, okay, by word. Also, I do things, he would say. I, I show acts of kindness that are in keeping with the gospel, that display the beauty of the gospel, having transformed my life. But more than that, if I need to, if I need to, I'll be a, I'll be a tent maker if I need to. Uh, if I need to, I'll spend some time in prison. If I need to, in order to carry out this mission, in order to proclaim this gospel and to see all the nations taste the mercy and glorify God for the mercy, if required, I will go to prison. If I need to, I'll get, I'll, I'll be stoned to death. If I need to, I'll do that. Now, he, he doesn't do hard things just for the sake of doing hard things. He did hard things when it was necessary to carry out the mission. But he's ambitious to do this, and that's what ambition is about. Ambition involves sacrifice. It always does. Ambition for something is demonstrated through sacrifice. If you're ambitious about something, you sacrifice for it. We see the work, and we see the outcome of that work as worthwhile, and so we strive to do it. We make sacrifices to accomplish it. We sacrifice other things that seem to be lesser for the honor of the greater thing. So the question then is, what is valuable? We're all ambitious. We're all making sacrifices, trying to accomplish things, aiming for things. The question really is, what do you see as valuable? What do I see as valuable? Apostle Paul saw as valuable the salvation of lost souls. He saw as value the fame of Jesus Christ across the globe and in each person's life. He saw it as valuable. That's the greatest. That's the ultimate thing. I'm going to keep my eye on that. I'm going to be ambitious for that, chasing after that. He saw as valuable the creation through the gospel, the creation of more worshipers of Jesus Christ because Christ is worthy of it. He saw as valuable, then, the establishment of more churches. It has to be valuable. That has to be valuable. If we value the, the ultimate worshipers, many worshipers spread across the globe, then we have to value the establishment of more churches near and then reaching out to the ends of the earth. It means that he also values the health of established churches. And so the Apostle Paul would plant churches Usually be chased out of town. Remember, they need to circle back around to strengthen those churches because the health of the church matters because he wants those people to offer up themselves as an acceptable sacrifice, right? A life of holiness unto the Lord uh, and make them useful instruments to keep planting more churches and keep doing this. So all of this, all these efforts then involves preparing people to be offerings of thanksgiving to the Lord, offering worship. And it's worth great sacrifice. Paul says, I'm ambitious for it. We all should be ambitious for this. These are the things that are important. And so, to show our ambition, we make sacrifices. In the strengthening of Grace Community Church, sacrifices must be made. As we carry out discipleship ministries of the church, perhaps, or, you know, for example, to the children, for the youth, we've got to make sacrifices if we're ambitious for this, we'll make sacrifices for it. Um, 
We're happy to sacrifice TV shows to serve in Kingdom Kids, for example. Take sacrifice. You have to sacrifice something. What's important to you? You always chase after what's important. We value the souls of those children. We want them to hear the truth. Right? They're, they're taught the gospel. We show them the glory of Jesus Christ in that ministry. And so we sacrifice to serve in a variety of ways to see that happen. It's why we contribute to a whole slew of ministries. It's why we invite people over to our house and build relationships with them, to know them, to love them. In the planting of Gospel Hope Church, sacrifices have to be made. When those sacrifices are made, we show that Jesus Christ is worthy of it. We show his worth in our ambition. We show his worth in our sacrifices. And so as Christians, we don't just make the sacrifices. We love the sacrifices because we love to worship, and we love to worship because we love the one we're worshiping. So there are sacrifices involved in planting Gospel Hope Church. There are sacrifices that happen in the going. As, as, as some of you say, I'm going to go. I'm going to be part of Gospel Hope, and I hope more of you will. Sign up for that and come with us. But there are sacrifices. There's the pain of separation from family and friends. It's painful, and you know it. We all know it. There is that pain. There's, there's the sacrifice that... Uh, that, that comes with serving in, in new and unfamiliar ministry roles that are outside of our comfort zone. And then, of course, there's all those unknowns. Like, we don't even know exactly what the ministry role will look like. We know what it looks like here, but what does it look like there? We don't know. It makes us a little nervous. And so there's a level of comfort that we lose, that we give up, and when we give that up voluntarily. It's a sacrifice that shows the worth of Christ. There's the sacrifices that are involved with, for, for, for those that are, that, that have a house here that, are, that have to get it ready to rent out or get it ready to sell, projects that have to be done. I mean, that's a, there's a lot of work there, putting it on the market, perhaps. And then, of course, there's all that, the sacrifices that are involved in, in finding another house. That's, that's hard work. You guys know what that's like to find a house. Oh, man. Wish we never had to do that ever again. Who would, who would choose to do this? Oh, and just finding one, that's even the small part. Then we got to get in there. So there's sacrifices. And we could just go on and on. There's sacrifices. I mean, are we insane to do this? <laughs> we are if Christ isn't worth it. We are if he's not glorious. We are insane if souls in North Knoxville don't matter. That doesn't make any sense. But it does make sense because Christ is worth it. Because there are souls that need to be saved, they need to hear the gospel. Well, there are also sacrifices in sending people out, aren't they? Aren't there? Again, this pain of separation. Family members experience that pain of separation. But, brothers and sisters, this sacrifice, it shows the worth of Christ. It shows that He is worthy. Uh, people have to step up to fill new ministry roles, voids that are left there as people leave. And we're adjusting. Maybe we're in this ministry and we move over to this ministry or we haven't been doing much, now we're doing more. And, there, and there's sacrifices involved and you're counting that cost. And as you count the cost in there, 
you're given opportunity to show the worth of Christ. Okay? Uh, there's more sacrifice involved just for praying for those that you send out. I mean, it's a whole new category on your prayer list, right? I hope you use the, the, the weekly prayer guide in the back. Pick one of those up. Pray for us. But that does involve more sacrifice. And, and, that's, and that sacrifice shows the worth of Christ. Uh, helping people get their house ready to sell or ready to rent out. That's a big burden, right? It's a big thing for people to leave. Well, as a sending church, that's one of the ways in which you come around those people and you help the church plant be successful. You go to those people who are moving and saying, or if they're thinking about moving, hey, I just want you to know if you're thinking about moving, it's going to be challenging. I want to help you. Is there any way we can help? Can we come up with a list of things to do? We'll rally the troops. We want to come around you. We want to support you in this because this is something we're doing. And we're doing it because of Christ. And we're doing it for the sake of the souls in North Knoxville. So we will band together and we will do this. We're trying to lead people to the obedience of faith. But Christ accomplishes all this work, doesn't he? That's Paul's point. He does it by word and deed. This is our word and deed I'm describing. But it's Christ accomplishing it. When you, if you are out there and you put your house up for sale, guess what? Christ is accomplishing his will in you. And that's incredible. He's, he's showing you his favor. You're enjoying his favor. He is enabling you to stop boasting in worldly things and boast and work for him. Every time you do something like that, it doesn't have to be selling your house. It could be people staying here, right? But when, he, when you're working, when you're joining in that work, for the sake of the Great Commission and the fame of Christ, uh, you are showing his worth. Um, in the work of church planning, there are more opportunities for work. Uh, I, think that's, I think it's undeniable. Passing out flyers, tracts, having gospel conversations, many other, many other tasks um, that we add to our lives when we say we want to plant a church. Okay? Well, it, it's possible to work too much or work in the wrong way, um, to work in a way that, is, that does not really give reason for us to boast in our work because it's not really in Christ Jesus, because it may be that we're not really thinking about Christ anymore. Now we're just trying to accomplish things, and we might neglect other responsibilities that God has given us, like caring for our spouse, caring for our children. So you can't work that hard that you neglect that because you can't boast in that anymore. So you've got to watch out for that. Neglecting the reading of Scripture. Sometimes we do that, right? Or we're tempted to do that when we're so busy. Oh, I don't have time to read my Bible today or time to pray. I've got to get busy serving the Lord. Well, <laughs> what sense does that make? But we get tricked like that. So we've got to watch out for that. Uh, neglecting rest. Rest is a biblical concept, right? You need to rest. Uh, neglecting encouraging friendships and fellowship with one another. Maybe because we're so focused on getting things done. And, and these things can be motivated by, by uh, a, a number of different things. We might, we might do these things out of fear. Uh, if we don't do all these things, if we don't pass out more flyers, then no one will come and we're afraid of everything failing. And so we do it out of fear. No, we can't boast in that work. We have to boast in the work that, is, that is, springs from our trust in Christ. He's the accomplisher in our love. And that enables us to rest knowing that he's the one who's really working. Okay. Sometimes it's, there's prideful motivation to impress people. We want to have a certain kind of church. When people show up, it's going to be like this. 
Well, we need to focus on what God has actually called us to and not try to fulfill our ideas of what a church ought to be, right? Keep our eyes on the master, on the chief shepherd, and do what he really has called us to do. And we can, we can trust in him to empower us. Sometimes we do it out of guilt. Uh, I'm just not a very good Christian. I've got to do more. I've just got to keep doing more. Uh, you know, I've been uh, spending too much money, looking at pornography. I've got to make up for all these wrongs. I'm just a horrible Christian. Let me prove myself. I mean, we can have all kinds of horrible motivations, but really it needs to be to boast in Christ. We have to do it in response to the mercy we've been shown, the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. Do it out of joy uh, in serving him because we love him. Uh, you know, there, there are those temptations to work too much, to do too much, and I just want you to know as, uh, as a pastor, uh, I care about those things. And for those that are going with the church plant, there is that temptation to do more than you should or more than we should. And I see that as my responsibility. I have a responsibility there to shepherd people and help people keep things in balance and to make sure that they are refreshed in the Lord, um, trusting in him, um, not getting burnt out. It should be a joyful work. And I, I, I want to do this joyful work with you. I look forward to it. Uh, well, let's continue on. Verse 18, he says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And now, begins talking about the means of Christ's working. How does he accomplish that? By word and deed. And then he says, by the power of signs and wonders. So by, by signs and wonders. That's how Christ accomplishes this. Among Paul's deeds were signs and wonders. We know why these were called wonders. We're talking about miraculous things, things that were undeniably miraculous, inexplicable when people saw them. How can that person be healed? He's definitely healed. How did he do it? It's impressive, and it causes people to wonder. That's why it's called a wonder. Well, these miraculous works are also called signs, and that uh, says something about the purpose of the great thing, of the wonderful thing, of the miraculous thing. You know what a sign is, just like those things posted along roads, uh, pointing to someone or something. Uh, they'd never point to themselves, though, right? The greatness of the miracles is not only in that someone is healed from blindness or from something else. The greatness is also in the fact that it is a sign that points to something else. There's, what we say, significance to it, right? It points. We all say, why? What does this mean? Why is, why is he doing this? Why is he, enabled, why is he able to do this kind of thing? Well, why is it? Well, Luke makes a note of this in the book of Acts. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, this gives this historical account. And again and again, he speaks of these wonders and signs uh, and how they were being done through the apostles, like Acts 2.43. But again and again, he points out these things were being done at the hand of the apostles. They were, there's a link to the apostles and that's important. And then the Paul, Apostle Paul gives this explanation in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, when he says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. So Christ uh, accomplished amazing miracles through Paul. And these miracles were like signs saying, Paul is an apostle. And what is that? Well, it was... Uh, an apostle was one that was hand-chosen by Jesus Christ 
to be sent by Jesus Christ in a particular way. He was sent with the authority of Jesus, given, uh, we could say, I think, uh, in a kind of power of attorney. So the Apostle Paul would write with the very authority of Jesus Christ, right? Like we write in the book of Romans, or read in the book of Romans. And it's exciting. We're, we're thankful for this apostolic truth. But how do we know which, which guy, when he writes, we should count as absolute truth? Show me the signs and wonders. Why is that? Well, Jesus did signs and wonders. People were wondering. The signs authenticated. This really is the Messiah. And then Jesus handpicks these guys. And now we see all these other guys. Not that many of them, though, right? But they are doing the same things that Jesus did. And so we know when they speak, they're authorized by Jesus to speak. So let's listen to them. And so the Apostle Paul played this critical role along with the other uh, apostles. And they were uh, recipients of special revelation from God, giving them new information about the church. It was revealed also to prophets that were under the authority of apostles And the Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 4, when he says, when you read this, a letter to the Ephesians, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, right? That divine secret of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is important because this was key to the launch of the church. What is the church? When you're saved, you're not just brought, you're not brought into the people of Israel. You're not brought into the nation of Israel. Well, that's what we did for centuries. No, when a person's saved now and they have faith in the Messiah, they are, they're part of the church. That's an international group of people. It's an international body, right? People of all the nations. Well, wow, we didn't see that one coming. Well, I, th- I think maybe probably should have. There's clues in the Old Testament. But it wasn't revealed like it is now through the holy apostles and prophets. So it was, there was a need for these apostles and prophets to reveal this truth. This is the church. As the church is being launched, you got to know it's for people of all nations. It's not a nation. It's made up of people from all nations. It's the body of Christ. And so the apostle Paul was ambitious to be used by Christ to accomplish uh, uh, Christ's work and he saw his role as an apostle as critical. And so he was, he was thrilled to do these signs and wonders, not just because signs and wonders are cool, but because he wanted to see the church launched, people brought into the church. That's what it was all about. He wanted the New Testament scriptures to be revealed and given to God's people. And he knew he was instrumental. In Ephesians 2.20, the apostle Paul uh, starts talking about the apostles and prophets uh, as, as the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church. So the foundation is not something that's continually laid. That's why we don't have more apostles and prophets. Those two groups, apostles and prophets, are linked together. And there's no more apostles that are hand-chosen by Christ to give more New Testament revelation. We have the New Testament completed. Uh, And so the apostle Paul is thrilled that Christ is accomplishing all this through him. And then there's another phrase that's used, that third one. Uh, Look there at verse, uh, verse, what is it, 19? 19. He says, it's by the power of the Spirit of God. So he just reminds himself, reminds us, we are not powerful people. You are not a powerful person. Well, we have the power of the Spirit of God. This is, he's talking about here the, the, the spiritual effectiveness of his whole evangelistic activity. We should be ambitious 
to build up the church here at Grace, to evangelize, to disciple, to bring people in, train them up. We should be ambitious to plant Gospel Hope Church, ambitious to support missionaries and send them out, not because we're powerful, but because Christ enables us by his spirit. He uses weak people to, to show his power by accomplishing great things through weak people. So what happened in Paul's own life and in the lives of others? As he looked back, he stepped back to see it. What happened in his life and their lives was not something that he could have accomplished or he could have created on his own. The Spirit had empowered Paul to love God, to love others, and to persevere when he was persecuted, when he was beaten, when he was chased out of places. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, had used his preaching to save people so that lives were transformed and churches were established. So Paul's fruitfulness was in the power of the Spirit. Paul was ambitious to preach the gospel because he wanted to serve in Christ's power. And, uh, and it proves fruit. So what is that fruit? So that leads to the third, um, third thing that the Apostle Paul says about Christ's working, what he's accomplishing. The fruit of Christ's working. Okay, The fruit of Christ's working what is the fruit of Christ working through Paul? Paul fulfilled the gospel of Christ. Paul fulfilled the gospel of Christ. So look at verse 19 again. Christ accomplished things through him by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that. Now this is a little, those two words indicate that the result is coming. So that, here's the result of Christ empowering, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul indicates here, just to be very specific, he indicates here not that he had actually gone into these two areas, Jerusalem and Illyricum, which is modern-day Yugoslavia and Albania and Croatia, but that he had gone to those places, like to the edge of those places. And also, Paul's not saying that he made a straight line from point A to point B, but that he had his roundabout way of going throughout all these areas. But the striking thing here, the striking statement that he makes comes at the end of it, end of verse 19. I have fulfilled my ministry of the gospel of Christ. I have fulfilled my ministry of the gospel of Christ. Fulfilled, that word is, has the idea of bringing something to completion. That's what it means to fulfill, to bring something to completion. Finishing something that's already begun. And literally, there's, if, there, there's no word for ministry. Some translations have the preaching of the gospel. There's no word for preaching there in the in the Greek, he says, literally, I have fulfilled the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem to Illyricum. That's some 2,000 miles. I have fulfilled the good news concerning Jesus Christ and salvation in him and his saving reign. What does that mean? He makes another striking statement in verse 23. It goes beyond the bounds of our text, but he says, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... Say, so what? How can you say that? No, no longer any room to preach the gospel? Well, certainly that's not, what he's, not simply what he's saying, that he went around preaching the gospel. Uh, his work was bigger than that. So he, he doesn't, he's not saying that he went to every place and talked to every person <clears throat> along that path. Now, he fulfilled the gospel. When he uses that kind of terminology, he's indicating that the gospel itself has some kind of agenda. The gospel has an agenda. What is that agenda? It's certainly to transform people, to make them into Christians, worshipers of Christ. But 
The agenda of the gospel is not to make standalone, individual, hang out by yourself Christians. That's not where the gospel takes you. If the gospel, the New Testament gospel, has its way in your heart and in your life, then you will, yes, be transformed into a worshiper of Christ, but you will also love the church, and you will gather together with God's people, and you will use the gifts that he's given you to build up the saints, and you will voluntarily submit yourself to the leadership of pastors, overseers, elders. You'll do this because that's the agenda of the gospel. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, I fulfilled the gospel in all these places, and what he means is that he had done the work of planting churches all along the way, so there was then a gospel witness that would go out from there. So a foundation of gospel preaching, gospel proclaiming churches had been laid. And, and then when he says in verse 23, I, I no longer have any room for work in these regions, he means that he has no place to go where his specific kind of work needs to be done. That is church plant, planting in places that were previously unreached. So Paul was ambitious. Here's the big point, right? We're zooming back out. Paul was ambitious to speak and act as Christ's instrument to lead people to the obedience of faith in him. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, said at the end of his life that he had learned some things about how to pray. He says, at first, I used to ask God to come and help me. God, please come and help me. I need your help. And Taylor said that, that was good, but he learned more as he went along and eventually he he prayed differently. He asked God if he might be able to help him. Let me help you, God. Right? And he says, that was better, but, but he learned even more. And he, says, he said, I ended my life by asking God to do his work through me. To do his work through me. And he was really embracing what, exactly what this passage is teaching. You and I should learn to beg God to use us. Because he doesn't have to. It's a privilege to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be an instrument of Christ. So be ambitious to speak and act as Christ's instrument, to lead people to the obedience of faith in him. And now number five, be ambitious to do your part in making disciples of all the nations. Be ambitious to do your part in making disciples of all the nations. So verse 20, he says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So he wanted to go where people didn't know Christ. They hadn't confessed and acknowledged him. Gospel hadn't gone there. Uh, he didn't want to build on someone else's foundation. He was interested in going to unreached peoples and establishing churches. He was interested to see people profess faith in Christ through baptism and uh, by that way enter the church and then be trained up in the church and then he would leave them there to keep proclaiming the gospel from where they were and to plant more churches and so on. And he would move on. So Paul was not a local evangelist. He was what we might call a frontier missionary or pioneer missionary. If you were to ask Paul, why? Why do you want to do this? Why are you so ambitious to do this? I think he would say, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. I think that's what he would say. Everybody will perish who does not hear the gospel and embrace it. 
Because everybody suppresses the truth. And they're out there living lives of rebellion against God. And the only way that they will be saved from God's wrath is that they hear the gospel. And so I'm ambitious to go and to proclaim this gospel. Why are we so ambitious to go to the unreached peoples? Yes, people. They'll under God's wrath, they'll perish. So we want to see them saved, that they might be transformed into worshipers to glorify God for his mercy. Paul was ambitious, and he was, a, he was constrained by a particular passage. He quotes scripture in Isaiah 52, 15. He quotes it in our text. Look at verse 21. Romans 15, verse 21. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Many who have never been told of Christ will when they hear of Christ, understand. He goes back to this servant song, which is familiar to so many of us. We think of it as Isaiah 53, but it actually begins at the end of, verse, or end of chapter 52. And you remember that context? Isaiah looks ahead and predicts the coming of Christ, and he says God came in the flesh, the Messiah. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We despised him. We esteemed him not. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. But see, Isaiah also, in that same servant song, talks about how the message that was, that was proclaimed received widespread rejection. Isaiah says, he, who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? But there, in the middle of that widespread rejection that Isaiah describes, he says that Christ, the, the Messiah, he accomplishes something. Isaiah 52, verse 15, so shall he, that's the Messiah, sprinkle many nations. He'll sprinkle many nations. Kings shall, shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. And Paul sees that promise, and that excites him. Among those who have never been told of Christ are elect ones. When they hear, they will understand. They will believe. They will glorify God for his mercy. And so he is ambitious to go for the sake of Christ's name. So Paul wants us to know that he is gripped by this text. And in being gripped by this text, he is experiencing that power of the Holy Spirit. Christ accomplishes his work in Paul by the power of the Spirit, right, we saw. What does the Spirit of God do? Well, he does things like this. He takes a text way back in Isaiah. And as Paul reads it, he makes it come alive to Paul. He strengthens Paul's heart to believe that text. And it thrills him and excites him. And he says, get out of my way. I want to go to the nations. Because when I tell them, some are going to believe. We just have to tell them. The power's in the gospel. Christ will sprinkle many nations. Let me do it. And that thrilled him. The Spirit of God worked in him to do that. So what are the implications for our work of fulfilling the Great Commission? Certainly Paul's describing his particular role in that, going to unreached people groups and He's not saying that all the Romans need to do that. 
That's not his message to them. In fact, he says in uh, verse 24 uh, of uh, Romans 15, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. I'm going to go to Spain, unreached people, and to be helped by my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So what was he saying there? um, I, I don't want you all to go. I want you to stay. I want you to be a strong church, a healthy church. I want you to love the gospel. I want you to give your lives as a living sacrifice to Christ because I'm going to need your help. He saw himself as interdependent. He needed them. I, I need to be helped by you. I need help financially. I need to be encouraged. Right? I want to be refreshed by your company. There's other things. I, you know, they would eventually send, wanted to send people. That's how that kind of support happened. So he wants them to be ambitious senders. So the question is, are we ambitious The answer to that is, yes, we are. Are we ambitious for the Great Commission? Are we ambitious for the work that he's called us to? We all must be ambitious to proclaim the gospel to lost people near and far. We all must long for more churches to be planted near and far. We all must pray for the nations and pray for God to raise up more people that would go to the nations with the gospel we must pray that, that we as a church will be able to raise up more and send them out. We must, we must seek to raise up individuals and send them out. We must plant church planting churches and missionary sending churches. Maybe you've heard that, that line, failure is succeeding at the wrong things. Failure is succeeding at the wrong things. What are you striving for? What are you seeking to accomplish? May God make us ambitious for the right things. May God make us ambitious to do his work for his glory because it is all about him. And may we not just work for God but be ambitious in our work for him. Ruby Claire, my daughter, at the last, uh, this past Friday at the prayer meeting for Gospel Hopefuls, prayed that we would be cheerful givers. Reminded us of that text, you know. In the original context, it's about financial giving. But I think it applies more generally, right? God, the text says, God loves cheerful givers. So may, may, may he empower us to live sacrificially and not just to grit our teeth and live sacrificially but to do it with, a, with joy in our hearts, to be cheerful givers because we've been saved. We've been shown mercy and he is worthy. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this text. I pray that you'd use your word to empower us to go. Lord, so many around this globe will, will be born into this world and live their whole lives and die and never hear the gospel. And they will perish. And there is nothing about us that makes us any better, any more deserving of the blessings that we have been given. For we have been shown mercy. And so we thank you for the mercy that you have shown us. And may we, in response to that mercy, embrace the task, the mission you've called us to. And proclaim your gospel. And plant more churches. Here and around the globe. 
We pray this for your glory. Amen.